Hey, it's Andrew, and welcome back to Season 3 of Network Disrupted, where I, along with some very smart guests, help fellow technology leaders trade notes on navigating disruption in our space. This season, I've set a goal of exploring the issue of enterprise cloud adoption from as many angles as I can. Today, I'm joined by Sandy Jones, who is both a friend and a former customer as Manulife Financial's former AVP of Global Network Services. In this episode, we discuss what Sandy learned through the many iterations of Manulife's cloud adoption journey, her approach to federation, and what a business as spread out geographically as Manulife should consider to maintain reliable service delivery. All right, let's get into it. And if you have a moment, please don't forget to leave me a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen to these. The feedback is always so helpful, and you'll be helping more people like you discover the show. Maybe you can give me a sense of the complexity. We love the pilot proof concept approach. It influences everything. It influences the human experience. There were several failures along the way. We want to be early adopter customers. You are handling sensitive information. Network disrupted. Sandy, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Andrew, for inviting me. We have talked a number of times in the past, and certainly we've talked about the sort of iterations that enterprises go through in cloud journeys. So for a little context, can you tell me a bit about your journey with the cloud in your career and sort of, you know, goals versus iterations? Sure. Uh, Well, I uh, like to tell people that my uh, cloud journey goes back to when we network folks invented the metaphor of a cloud before what's uh, called the cloud today came along. And and so I was around for the early iterations, like software as a service, while it was still called other things and, you know, seen a lot of change. But the last seven years has been the the real big journey for me. I joined Manulife in 2014 and, and left just last month. And during that time, we really went from a company that was really data center centric with a lot of software that had been developed and and deployed in the data centers for years, multiple regions, each with their own sets of IT and so on. We really went through that, that same sort of sequence that you see a lot of companies going through where there's first SaaS adoption, you know, they start plugging into things like Office 365, ServiceNow, Salesforce, and, and so on. Then the next iteration where we started focusing on using cloud providers, and and in our case, we focused in on Azure. A lot of my peers that I talked to through the journey were on on AWS, Google, some in Asia were on Alibaba. But in general, we all kind of went through the same iteration where first there was a lot of what we call lift and shift, where we just took the same application that was running in the data center on a server or a virtual machine and plunked it on a virtual machine in a, a cloud player infrastructure as a service. So we we uh, abstracted that bottom layer, but it was really for the IT teams a lot like what they were used to. It was, in the, it was like back in the let's virtualize this stuff in the data center. Exactly. Yeah. Same basic process. Yeah. Take, take the same thing, just virtualize. And a lot of the drivers early on were really, you know, a lot of companies had long time contracts with data center providers and, and it was quite frankly, cheaper to run on a VM in a, in a cloud player than it was in the data center or, or so they thought before they uh, saw the fine print and all the, uh, the hidden costs of not deprovisioning things and so on. But fundamentally. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. But I used to be shocked when I would hear like a, a customer of mine would have an option of a of a virtual appliance or a physical appliance and they would say it would cost them more in chargebacks per month to run it virtually yeah. than physically yeah. just because of the 
dated contract with service provider for data center that charged $2,500 a month for a virtual machine or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there was a lot of that. And, and uh, you know, colleagues across the industry, it seems to be the same story. We were using different providers in different regions and, and similar stories. But that, that first iteration was really sort of about moving from data center to cloud platform, but without really changing a lot. And then in the next iterations, you started to see different parts of the business taking advantage of being in the cloud, doing things like uh, we had one big project that's uh, been talked about publicly where the software that uh, insurance companies use to figure out how much they should charge you based on your personal risk. We had dozens of those systems running in all parts of the company, some from legacy M&A activity, others just lines of business. And we were able to feed all of that into a platform in the cloud that could normalize it and do reporting so that now all those business people were making a risk decision based on a much bigger data pool. And to do something like that in the data center world and ship it all to Toronto or wherever the main data center was and, and build the systems to do all that, it was really much much better suited for the cloud environment and and things that can scale up and down and have hooks into different areas. So you started to see some of those. And at the same time, Manulife was really aggressive in the cloud adoption. We focused on Azure and and came to multi-cloud a little later, but there was a strong motivation for the IT teams if they were introducing something new or uh, refreshing, transforming an application. There was a strong push in all the regions to really put that into the cloud and and really do it differently if they could. And we found ourselves often ahead of the curve in that we were pushing the cloud players for things that they weren't quite ready for because we started a little earlier. And that really hit the network side as well because uh, we had a very complex network with the eight different Azure regions, four pairs backing one another up and different application stacks in each of those. So it really pushed the vendors and, And so along with the whole cloud adoption from the application side, there's been iterations of what the network looks like and what we can do natively in cloud versus what we need to do outside. As you were talking, it was occurring to me, you know, like, so probably the iteration negative one was some people in the business were just creating subscriptions with Azure or accounts with AWS and trying stuff, right? Because IT was too slow or whatever the case might be. And then now there's, now there's some level of standardization. And, and when you said, and, and then we went all in an Azure, which isn't unique to, to Manulife. I mean, obviously the clouds are competing at different levels, but, but it occurred to me where, you know, sometimes it, it's frustrating to everybody in IT. Decisions are just made seemingly at a higher <laughs> level without context or whatever the case. And w- with all respect to Azure, I've created a lot of success in technology in Azure. This isn't a cloud provider versus cloud provider. Microsoft tends to have great relationships with enterprises because of all the value they've driven throughout the years. And They're so I know a, right more one case where where you know there was whatever iteration was going toward AWS or GCP or maybe Azure, but then there was just this mandate, oh no, we're going all in Azure. And and those that were creating the technology were like, but we went down this road for a reason. You know, like it was they all of a sudden they yep. had to try to redo 
and, and yeah, try to sure. apply. And, and that created gaps and capabilities that they pushed Microsoft for. So I'm not suggesting that's what happened at Manulife, but I, I seemingly like it. It's always no, it's it, a little it ironic to me that those decisions sort of come top down sometimes. Yeah, it happens cloud. everywhere. And, and any big decision like that, you know, everybody's not going to be happy about it. Yeah. Um, what Manulife has done over the years and those iterations is created a really good feedback loop. They, uh, they have a group that includes the chief architects for all the different lines of business and some of, some of us from infrastructure and, and so on. So there's a process to go through when those big technical decisions or ones that aren't quite that big, but uh, right. those decisions are being made that have implications you know, across the enterprise. But yeah, early on, some of those big bets were made. And, and for whatever reason, I think, as you said, Microsoft was very baked into the enterprise. So you saw, at least from where I was sitting, a lot of enterprises went in on Azure, whereas a lot of small and medium businesses went more over to AWS and Google. And of course, right. as they've grown and thrived, that's put a, a, a nice big uh, base of, of customers there. But it's really something that you can't decide by committee. And at, at yep. a certain point, I think that those decisions have to be made similar in, in you know, our security products and, and things like that, that really everybody has to live with the results. So companies have gotten better and better, I think, at having those discussions and recognizing that, you know, just because I'm doing something in the U.S., doesn't mean that Japan shouldn't have a say in that. It might, they might right. have a very different situation. And so, uh, yeah, I've seen our Manulife and other companies I've I've talked to sort of evolve that internal communication that's really, really important and those, those pros and cons that come along. Right. I think some of the capabilities they have are so differentiated that they're the obvious choice for this, this, or this. And I think when you look at that sort of broad... No, we've decided, and yes, at some point it'll be multi-cloud, but we've decided to go an all-in somewhere. Well, then the question comes, okay, so maybe maybe one cloud provider isn't as good in this area or doesn't have a long-term storage solution or doesn't have, you know, there's something they're lacking. And, and so, well, part of, I think, what they're really good at is adding those services over time when they're pushed by their customers. Yes. Um, but two, so you live without it. You do something else until it exists or there's a little multi-cloud in the process in other words, I, I'm sure I'm going to piss off somebody, but I, I think they like to believe they're more differentiated than they are. There's technologists that can craft solutions sure. given given the pretty big toolbox they all come with in terms of services. Yeah, yeah they're they're all well well situated to add the the features as needed. And I always it's not not unique to cloud players as well. You know, I always uh, my advice to people choosing technology is look past the current feature set, right? Because a year from now that could be equal. Look for, you know, what's what's the real differentiator? What are they able to do that somebody else can't do? But the other thing at the beginning of the cloud journey, there was a lot of talk that well, it's just cloud, it's all the same, so it doesn't matter. Before those companies really got good at telling their particular story, right. and and a lot of a lot of the early part of the cloud journey and, and still today, you know, companies that are just adopting, they sort of go in thinking, okay, well, it's in the cloud. So geography doesn't matter anymore. Platform doesn't matter. It's just out there. And, and I've seen a lot of companies and a lot of IT teams go through that learning curve. I, I tell a story about uh, one of our early projects where uh, I had just joined the company. I was maybe six months in and met a fellow in the hallway who 
who found out I was network and he said, you know, your team is great. You've done all this stuff and told me all about his big cloud project. Great. We did that. I didn't know him yet, but he said, I just have one question. So when, when my instance in the U S tries to talk to my instance in Hong Kong, why is it coming back over your corporate backbone? I said, well, I'll have to check that out. But did anybody from your team mention to the network team that those sites talk to one another? Right. Well, no, it was just an assumption. They were both in Azure. Don't they just talk? And right. so there's been a real learning curve of, you know, within infrastructure teams, but also the IT teams understanding the implications of infrastructure. And, and uh, you know, no matter how how complex or simple it is, geography is is still pretty much a going concern. And, you know, handoffs between companies need to be thought through. So we, we were able to fix that pretty quickly. But uh, it's yeah. I've seen that same conversation happen a lot of places. Yeah. No, I think one of the remarkable benefits of the cloud is being able to, the barriers of entry are gone. You don't need to build up this massive set of capital in order to go deploy and test something. You can build something rapidly and uh, and then and then scale it. You know if it's built appropriately, and so I, I always think lots of decisions are made locally. You know as if this stuff is going to be running here, and it's always going to be running here, and and uh, and the users won't be here. And so great, done. Versus it's part of a broader infrastructure, and at some point that new thing that you know that is going to have to refer to something that's still in the data center, or you're going to have local access in different geographies, and you need to optimize yeah. the traffic between. And I think that uh, yeah, th those decisions can be made naively. And absolutely, maybe the good news is they can be reverse engineered as, just as quickly, but but sometimes mm -hmm. not. I mean, sometimes um, you've decided mm -hmm. on having who cares what the IP space is, the cloud, and it's completely overlapping and all of a sudden, well, that creates problems. You all know, of a sudden, it, yeah, we yeah. have to make it work. And that's that's been really interesting to watch too. There's been a lot of growth in the infrastructure and, and network and security teams with the implication of cloud, but the, the developers have and, and architects have had to come along with us. So early on, it yeah. was exactly as you said, they put something in a cloud player. Sometimes they would talk about putting something in Salesforce. They would talk about putting something on Azure, but they they didn't know at that point to think through, well, the customer is connecting to Salesforce, but then Salesforce is making a call back to our data center, which is calling something that's in the US Azure and back and forth. And so there's, there's still, I think, a long way to go with architects really understanding the implications of those things. But I've seen a lot of growth with those teams over the years, understanding that, hey, if we can look at what the service is end to end and cluster those things. And also over the years, it's gone from really sort of independent views of we're just going to put something there to really looking at where the clusters are of capabilities. And right. You know, if you look at where the network providers always came together, that goes way back to the meet me's in, in the 90s, you've now got the big data center providers like Equinix and, and so on. You've got the cloud players are are right there. And, and so you've got a really dense set of infrastructure. And now we're starting to see the, the virtualized and, and network edge service yep. providers show up there, the SD-WAN players who have yep. gateways they're in those same spots, the SASE providers, they're in those spots, and they're all sort of trying to eat one another's lunch. But it, it gives an enterprise an ecosystem at those points ge right. geographically rather than just 
a cloud player where, you know, we used to have to run traffic all the way to our data center to get some security to go over that sort of last mile into Azure, whereas now Azure can do some of that for itself. We have cloud players that sit close to Azure. And the other thing we've sort of mentioned but not really looked at is where are the users? Yep. You know, the users in a big enterprise have always been scattered all over the world. Yep. And cloud starts to give us the ability if we use it to scatter the capabilities closer to the users. But a lot of the early additions were, uh, you know, somebody in London would still be coming into a server in New York, right. even though they were on a cloud player that uh, also had servers in London. And, and right. so. Right. That goes somewhat to re-architecting the applications, as you said, it, because it, yeah. the application was, you know, passive, active between north america and the uk and only one worked at the same time in the data center and that's what we moved up to the cloud then it's still the same way right i no. think netflix has really taught a lot of people how that works and you know they're just one example but i i spent four years or so based in hong kong and i used my same netflix account my same machine my same credentials but if i happened to be in hong kong or singapore or japan Toronto, wherever I would be getting content that's from the area that I was in. And that was always a good sort of way to explain to both the business and the developers the, the benefits of having that content close. And, you know, CDNs were a big thing, but they were complex. And now they've become a bit more nimble, I'd say. And, and, yeah. uh, and, and then the ability to have some of those other services and that most of the cloud players, certainly the SaaS players, have really upped their game in terms of distributing content and capabilities. You know, Microsoft was was ahead of the curve, as you might expect, with uh, Office 365 and yeah. introducing front doors where they could, you know, detect, oh, okay, she's in Seattle today. We'll put some of her data there, right. and that was really great for travelers. But I think it's also been really great as as the networks move and shift and and it's one of the reasons why we were able to move all the users to home i mean we we didn't have much impact on users at all we were very ready for it other companies maybe not quite so much because it wasn't built into the culture yeah. but it would have been much harder and much longer a curve to to adopt that work from everywhere if we yeah. were still operating just on single data centers and uh, and not having that kind of flexible infrastructure in between. Yep. Well, one quick thing on Netflix. This American who moved to Canada, Toronto, eight years ago, uh, got super annoyed a few years ago when they got really good at detecting VPNs and other mechanisms to avoid <laughs> their 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 country. But, sure. you know, so I can no longer see my American Netflix here. But I, there's mechanisms to do it, but the content, God, whatever. I don't, tr I'm now Canadian. I don't want to see the American content. Anyway, regardless, <laughs> the thing you stressed, I mean, in in sort of clustering these applications together, and it, it's something that, you know, I believe in with, with every fiber of my IT being, which we've discussed a number of times on this podcast is just, you know, I, I think it, it's so easy to fall into this we're going agile, we're going scrum, we're just going to build this thing and just forgetting about and not dissing those processes, but dissing certainly a lack of uh, any upfront architecture. You're trying to create scalable and reliable applications that have all sorts of dependencies. And, and so you need to consider the larger picture and you can't have 30 different application teams around the world working on different things, just create this, go, you know, 
let's hope yeah. they all come up with the right architecture because well, that's not going to happen. That's it exactly. There, there, there are things that can be done in small pockets, and keeping those things agile within that bigger framework is amazing. A hundred percent. But it's it's like anything else. You know, the is the answer the far right of the spectrum, the far left of the spectrum, or somewhere in the middle. Yeah. It's it's the same with agile versus yeah. planning ahead and and. Yep. Uh, always, always, these, always it, in the middle. And yeah, just, and I you think get, I think yeah. uh, developers have have really come a long way in understanding those things, and and so you see more solution architects looking at okay, here's the big picture. Now, team, go off and build yeah. within that. But you've got a sort of a direction in mind, and and some tools decisions and and architecture yeah. decisions that have been made and and guide rails really right, exactly they, they don't need to be made every time now now you're developing a new application and it's for this business unit it's consumer facing or it's business facing it's regional or it's global like you know go down the pachinko board and pops out with some guardrails for how we're going to deploy this thing you know and and you, you can reduce the number of variants and create scale that way you and, know, and you can uh, also you know i've seen a lot of uh, advantages in, you know, as centers of excellence are developed within companies and, and those folks have connectivity to one another through using the same sort of core tools. You get a lot more cross-pollination between, you know, the finance IT team and the HR IT team yeah. who might not have been talking before, but now they're collaborating. And, and uh, you know, sometimes that goes all the way up to the business where, Another Manulife example, just because that's uh, yeah. where I've been for the last few years. There was a product that was built in Hong Kong, and it was built really well. It was a great platform. And then a couple of the other countries wanted to introduce a similar product, and they ended up sort of internally white-labeling Hong Kong's product because you now could see that, you know, this IT stack is going to be the same no matter yeah. where we are, well, why duplicate? Let's expand on. And and once you start Go to have that. those things, you start to see the culture change a little bit within the within the IT teams. And they say, hey, you know, instead of, oh, they're going to make me work with those guys or we're stuck with their decision, you've got more of an ecosystem and more collaboration around those decisions in the first place so they can be reused and, and uh, you know, a microservice built once and, and used many times not just yeah. cloud but it, cloud i think has really driven a lot of that because it's uh, it's allowed a lot faster change a lot more agility that's yeah. that's driven the, the opportunity to change how they build as well no i think it's that's a really great point and i, I think it's worth restating or at least making sure i understand it because it, it's always been this sort of non-invented here type situation <laughs> cloud or not right and part of shadow it was that was like okay we're not going to let them invent this here because they're going to take forever, whatever the case is, we're going to go build it ourselves. And then, you know, they, in this case, might be some central applications team, wouldn't accept it back because it's not invented here. You know, give it to them, but they're going to redevelop it the way they want to, you know, and I think it's a it's an amazing point and a really good benefit of providing some of that global architecture and uh, guide rails and and building smaller things like services or microservices where those can then end up in a repository where people can use them because that's how you scale, right? I mean, you're, you're using less, sure. you know, less variants of something. Here's here's how we're going to do backend authentication of of employees against 
Azure Active Directory, whatever the use case might be. You know, here's yeah. here's our interface to long-term storage of data that needs to stay resident in country, whatever the service is, and now deploy it in many places. And, and you get different service owners and, and other people contribute to it versus I'm always going to rewrite this. And, and part of that also, Sandy, though, is like, you know, it, it's the, you know, where, where IT used to be responsible for sort of vertically delivering everything. Business needs a new application to do this. IT is going to make the build versus buy decision, figure out what the requirements are, buy all the infrastructure, figure out the SLAs, and deliver this thing. Versus I think this broader, more, again, like you said before, it's neither all the way in the left or all the way in the right, but, but what IT needs to be focused on is delivering platforms, guardrails, capabilities, so that other people can create value-driven services yeah. and applications on top of infrastructure that we know we can manage, we know is going to be secure, we know is going to be reliable. For sure. And there, there's a bit of an inside sales job in there as well, um, showing them things like if you have an architecture and a vendor and, and a platform that have already gone through risk from a technology standpoint, risk from a business standpoint, they've got the regulator on side, then you can avoid having to go through all that again and, and get your job done quicker. And, and there's, you know, finding the benefits to that as opposed to saying, this is the corporate solution and thou shalt use it. Right. I, I find makes things go a bit easier and, and gets everybody a little more easily on board. Yeah. Even I think your role or maybe maybe manual life IT changed generally this way because as I remember it, so please correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you used to be charged sort of soup mm -hmm. to nuts with a set of capabilities. Yeah. And didn't that change over time like in breadth and more soup and less nuts? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Manual life when I when I joined was just in the process of really finishing the creation of the global teams for the various infrastructure towers. So I right. gathered up network people from all the different business units in all the different countries, and, and we strung together a network team. And I had everything from operations through to strategy. By the time, uh, by the time we got to, I, I think it was 2019, we were really starting to see a lot more difference in how the how the businesses we're supporting were operating and Asia being 12 or 13 countries with an extra regional layer in there that was starting to do some of those guardrails and so on versus Canada and US, which were both big on their own, not growing as fast as Asia, but each one was substantial and, and you had the, the country, the business unit and the region were all the same. So they had different problems, different opportunities. And so we started shifting more to a to a more regional structure. And, and what we did at that point was put most of most of that bread in regional buckets. And, and I had to make a decision. Would I would I be regional for uh, Asia uh, for the build and run operations and engineering piece? Would I do that for North America or would I take the the thinner but in my view, a bit more interesting chunk, which was strategy transformation standards and do that globally. Right. And, and I see the company moving even more and more to that, uh, that regional model because even the strategy and transformation, we got to the point where really a lot of our decisions were, you know what, 
Asia, you go ahead and do that. And North America, you go ahead and do that. Those don't conflict. They don't have to be the same. But here's the three places that they have to meet. Right. So, for instance, our new firewall and, and intrusion prevention standard said, you know, you can use either of these platforms. This is your default. But here's the situations where you can use the other one. And that right. let us plan the, the the big shift that's underway right now away from IP addresses and ports and things to identity and context and yeah. and tags and rules that the business can understand. So anywhere we would need that, we wanted everybody on the same platform heading for the same place. Yeah. But you know, if if Asia uses a different firewall in some of those edge cases because they want diversity and North America would rather have, you know, the same one everywhere or vice versa. We really shifted toward that regional kind of bent because that's closer to the businesses. And, and ultimately, we're only there to, to make the business able to do what they want to do. So I don't know if I've seen that as much in other companies just yet, yeah. but the, the way Manulife is organized too with still independent IT teams with their own CIOs in each of the countries and some of the business lines sort of lends itself more to that federated model than the the central command and control. Yeah, it used to be just this like, you know, like, let's centralize. No, you know, yeah. let, let's... Yeah. Now we'll distribute, now we'll centralize. Let, yeah, and the centralize and go Same. back and forth and back and forth. For and, sure. And let's and it, outsource, it, no, let's pull it in. Now yeah, let's yeah, outsource yeah. it again. And but but, but the, the difference... Right. The difference here is when you decentralized, there was this this sort of layer of strategy that was global. Because I, I think what 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 the decentralization always creates are are unnecessarily silos, right? And and kingdom builders. Right. And no, we do it different here, and we're always going to do it different here. Where it's not a discussion about what matters. Back to the architecture. Architectures meet the requirements. And yes, the requirements are going to be different in different areas. Sometimes it's, it's geographical and sometimes it's like like you said, a, sort of a mixture of geographical, but also very importantly, businesses at different size, scale, and growth with different opportunities. So therefore the requirements are going to be different. And very I think when, yeah. right, and, and adding architectures doesn't mean force fitting, you know, exactly. it, yeah. it means allowing for those different- to be yeah. flexible and and sort of lego block like yeah and uh and, and you've you've always got especially in a big enterprise you've got your regulators and the compliance team and risk management and so on to make sure that where it really matters things are are done but but you're looking more at this is what you have to achieve and right. if each team achieves that in a slightly different way but within a framework that can all fit great then right. then you don't have to spend a lot of your time arguing about the one true way to architect something right Completely shifting gears, but a bit on a tangent of what what we were just saying. We, we've both had the opportunities in our career. You're certainly well. Many many years ago, I lived in in Taipei for almost a year, but but you certainly in in, in Hong Kong for for quite some time. But I've had the opportunity to gloriously had the opportunity to travel the world many times over, uh, doing business and understanding people, cultures. Understanding your customer, you know, I think it's too easy yeah. sitting. When headquarters is in is in U.S. Canada, and your stakeholders are all over the world, it is too. And, and therefore, headquarters is where the weight of the For sure. influence normally is. It, it's it is so easy to lose understanding, empathy, 
and and really you know understand what's going on culturally, technically, and everything else. Yeah, the unique and then there's just the personal side of it, which is which I think is amazing of just yeah. uh, just being able to spend a, a meaningful amount of time in other other countries all around the world. Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to uh, travel starting up again and and getting out there because to, to your point, there's there's something about the human connection and behind every one of these conversations, you've got people and and uh, you know we've all done an amazing job of working virtually for a year and a half, but nothing really takes the barriers away like looking somebody in the eye, having a a cup of tea or a dinner together and and yep. but but to your point about the uh, gap between head office and and uh, the regions you know being canadians we're we've all grown up accustomed to being what they think is the 51st state and and you know head yeah. office doesn't understand it's different in canada we multiply that many times over when yeah. you're talking about a different continent and multiple countries you know yep. hong kong and and japan and singapore have quite a rivalry and and yep. you can't put them in the bucket together. But then when you, you go into places like Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, it's a very different environment there as well. And not only do you have the the empathy problem on the head office end, you know, I can, I can say, I think without annoying too many people that it exists a bit on the other side. Head office is a four letter word. And, yep. you know, I had to really prove once I got over there that I wasn't a spy from headquarters and I wasn't yeah. there to, you know, inflict what, what headquarters thought on them. And, and, you know, it, it really did take some time, you know, we're, we're both uh, living in Toronto and you get used to, we're a really multicultural city. We, it, you know, you hear other languages all the time. You just take for granted that you understand global cultures because you have Chinese friends and, right. uh, you know, Iranian friends and, and wherever, but being dropped somewhere where you're not the default, whether that's in another culture or, Hey, it's just not head office. Right. It really it is a big eye opener and, and understanding to be able to explain back to head office. Well, here's what happens in, in this situation. Yeah, exactly. and Here's what you don't know. And, and frankly, what nobody can get around to telling you, it's not that the regions aren't interested in conveying what's different, but what's different to them is just normal. So how do you know what to convey? And and I think, uh, you know, companies that do a really good job of cross-pollination and, and moving people around between regions, I, I always recommend too, if people are traveling overseas, whether it's, you know, all the way to Asia, just to London, wherever, to to go. Don't pop in and do a couple of meetings and then pop out and the executives that come over and, and they take, you know, a full week in region and they see their stakeholders, but they also see their employees and they, right. you know, really take a breath and enjoy the time and, and invest in it. It just, it, you know, go for a whole week twice yeah. a year instead of two days, four times a year right. uh, sort of thing is just, it, it makes a difference because at the end of the day, tech is all run by humans and it's all run for humans. So yeah. there's only so much we can do without being there. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree with you completely. And, and it's for every reason you said, and, and then it's just time zone in some cases, you know, like you're, oh. you know, on, on this side, you're used to that's fine we'll stay up till 8 p.m or we'll get up at 6 p.m and have a meeting no issue and and they're staying up till 8 p.m or 11 p.m or some yeah. people here schedule a meeting for them at 2 a.m or whatever the case might be yeah. but you're literally never speaking when you're both 
in the middle of the day for both of you, you know? And, exactly. And, and, yeah. By, by and, definition, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. And, by definition, it doesn't happen. And, and therefore, you know, meetings are always, you know, th- this isn't, this isn't time to think through something. It's, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's Let's not get an imposition. through the agenda yeah. and, and now I have right. to put the kids to bed. Or, you got it. You got yeah. it. And no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I'm aware that there's people out there that don't think it is just unbelievably fascinating to go visit different people, different cultures, different countries. I mean, I just, I, yeah. I don't understand we're, why. We're <laughs> well, and there are people too who, who do understand the value and, and would love to do it, but their life circumstance just don't doesn't the allow them or, or doesn't allow it right now. And, yeah. and that's okay. And there, there are ways around it, but uh, even to, to make one solid trip a year and really connect with people rather than, you know, there's nothing worse than the guys on the floor saying like, yeah, he was here. He was upstairs the whole time. We never saw him. He's gone. Right. Just those little things like having lunch with the team or, yeah. or bringing donuts and, and, uh, and celebrating something with them. But yeah. it's, uh, I, I think COVID has really changed the equation to a certain extent. There are a lot of people who, you know, really couldn't grasp how things could work across distance and time zone, or my favorite, my, my application will never work on the internet. Well, it's been working on the internet for the last year, and that's changing, you know, technology decisions like, hey, maybe we can run things on the internet, but it's also changing. People are, are valuing, you know, the time we're not in the office, they're, they're really aware that, oh, it is different. I would like to get back in the office and maybe it's not full time. And, you know, manual life and, and all the jobs I've really had tend to be dispersed over distance. So going into any one office, I never see my whole team, all my stakeholders, but there's there's definitely a difference between not seeing them every day or not seeing them all together versus just not seeing them. And and I, I it's interesting to watch different companies taking different approaches to where is that balance and, yeah. and what's going to work. And and really what's great is to see one size doesn't fit all. I'm seeing most companies are saying, hey, we recognize that, you know, roughly 30% of you want to be back in the office full time. Another 30 never yeah. want to be back in the office again. And the rest want hybrid. And and we're seeing the models come out, and and I think it's come at a great time in history because the tech is there to support it. Yeah. Um, even even things like SASE, you know, they're in their infancy. We were a little ahead, um, setting put, taking our security out of the data centers and out of the offices and putting it out in the cloud in those those clusters close to the cloud platforms. But those kind of companies really came to the rescue a year and a half ago because they were needed and you suddenly the users aren't in the office the applications aren't in the office or in so, applications yeah, so why, aren't in the so data why are we all vpning to the office exactly you know, and so. yeah and and i and i think it's well it's a lot easier to explain zero trust now and and the idea that being on the network really doesn't mean you're trustworthy and being off of it doesn't mean you're not and we need to look past you know those network level controls which won't go away. You know, it's good to have a lock on your door of your office, but really shifting that security up to who are you? Are you allowed to come in? What are you allowed to see? And and I think COVID has given us all a yeah. little nudge in that direction yeah. too. Let, let that guide what ports are open for whom. But yeah. uh, no, super. Well, it was as always wonderful talking to you. I'd love to end up note of, you know, our passion for the world and 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 uh 
Uh, I think it's a great note to end on, and I very much enjoyed it. Me too. It's always great talking to you, Andrew. Take care. All right, Sandy. Take care. 